Hello. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hello. Uh, thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you great. Thank you so much for doing this. Before we get started, uh, you could do a lot of things with your 9 a.m., but you chose to do this. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. I listened to a few of your episodes. Oh, what a blessing. So today, I also have a uh, co-host with me, uh, Zach Ball. I don't know if you know, remember Zach, uh, but uh, he was uh, in the youth and the all the uh, stuff, and he's going to be joining us today. Yeah, I remember Zach. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Good, how are you, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Still hanging out around UK? Yep, yep. Uh, graduate in two weeks. Nice, dude. Nice. Are you are you going to stay on and work there? I know you do stuff with the athletics and and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, there's a campus ministry on campus uh, called Christian Student Fellowship. And they we fundraise like 100% of our salary. And I'm uh, I'm going on staff there. Awesome. Way to go, Zach. Good to hear it, man. Awesome. Thank you, man. So, uh, how long do we uh, have you for today? How long do you want me? Well, um, I guess, well, th- these usually don't, uh, these usually last about four, 30, 45 minutes. Uh, if, that, if that works for you. Yes, yeah, so that sounds good to me. All right. So the way this was to get started, I tell this, I tell people this is organized chaos, and so it will, uh, will just uh, welcome us in, and then we can go ahead and get started. All right, cool. And welcome to another episode of Brosephus and Friends. I'm your host, Brosephus, and this week I'm excited to have, um, I'm excited to have a co-host Zach Bob, and I, and I'm also excited to have our guest today. Bob Hawker. Bob, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, glad to be here, guys. Yeah, that's so good. The first time, I don't think, I was thinking about this yesterday, I don't think that I actually got to talk to you uh, one-on-one, but I, I knew a lot of Bob Hawker, uh, Big Wig himself, because he, um, you were the uh, Pastor Ashley, tell a little bit about yourself and, and what you do now. Yeah, so I spent my first, um, oh, about 13 years in ministry being a youth pastor. I spent three of that in Florida. And then where I got to meet uh, these two knuckleheads was in Kentucky. I was the youth pastor at Wildwood Church in Ashland, Kentucky. And um, we used to hang out a lot around Lexington with friends of ours and um, our youth groups used to get together and spend time together. And then I was director of middle school camp where we got to hang out uh, during summers and at Ohio State Youth Conventions. And uh, now for the last four years, I am doing... Uh, I'm what's called the next step pastor at Salem Church in Dayton, Ohio. And so I do all adult discipleship, uh, life groups, discipleship, um, all that stuff. I oversee our intern and residency program, and I'm also our family ministry pastor. So I oversee all of our kids and student ministry with one of your friends, Pastor Olivia Dixon, who is our children's pastor. Yes. And um, yeah, so I get to do all that stuff here in Dayton, Ohio. 
was telling people the other day, I said, you all have the staff because you have Olivia and then you also have um, someone that I had not known, but he was at Madison Park with Bill Gaither, Mr. Uh, his, oh, what's his name? Um, Pastor Paul. Paul Strozier. I said, yeah. all right. And then uh, I was listening to your service the other day and your worship leader, Carmen, she also sang with the Gaithers. So you all are in high company. I tell you what, big wigs all over the place. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, man, it's fun getting to do ministry with all these folks. They definitely bring a lot to the table, have a lot of experience, and I get to be a part of it. I feel blessed. Bob, you said your, posi you said your position there. They You do it all over there, man. I know, uh, man. Every, I wear a lot of hats. Yeah. yeah every part of the ministry. I love it. Yeah, I get to wear I get to wear a lot of hats. You know, this is what we do, man. So so much people find themselves in ministry and it's not just one thing that we gotta do. It's it's uh man getting called to jump in and, and help out where we can. And fortunately, man, I, I spent a ton of time with students and so absolutely love student ministry and and stepping in to help our family, you know, our students and kids. We really want not to have a kids ministry, a student ministry, an adult ministry. We're trying to figure out how we can have a family ministry and how we can invite um, multi-generations to worship together, to serve together, to lead together, and to live together. So that's why I have my role. It's to help connect our senior adults, our young families, our kids, and our students into more of a family ministry atmosphere like we see you know, in scripture. So, so yeah, so I, we added that, uh, to my, to my list of things, um, fairly recently, but it's been a lot of fun. That is so good. I think that is so important bridging the gap because you go to, um, you go to a service and then you have the nine o'clock, which is the blue hair service. And then you have the 11 o'clock, which is the rock and roll service but having a time when people can come together and uh the old people learning from the young people and the young people learning from the old people is such a wonderful gift because we each age group can learn from the other one yeah yeah you know i agree with that we um we have, you know, we, we, have, we do two services at Salem. They're both identical. Um, and, you know, we, we make all of our decisions here based on what we call the one. You know, Jesus talks a lot of in, in parables. And, and man, I, our favorite are when he does right in a row, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And it would seem from those parables that Jesus has a healthy imbalance towards the lost, towards the one. He's going to leave the 99 to find the one. Uh, the woman who loses one coin turns the house over and finds it. The son who comes home. And each time when the lost thing gets found, the party is thrown and people are celebrating. And we see that Jesus just has this this healthy imbalance towards the lost people in the world. And so at Salem, we try to make all of our decisions based on that filter. Is this accessible, approachable to someone who would come in and say, 
I'm not sure about Jesus. <clears throat> Our pastor always says, kicking the tires on salvation, you know, just trying to figure out faith. And, um, and so the best way for us to do that is to include the whole family and um, to have this multi-generational approach to ministry is, is not easy. It's, there's lots of challenges involved with it to have a, um, a focus on lost people that there's also a challenge to that. That often means that some of the, the saints of the church aren't having their preferences met because we're trying to reach lost people who have different preferences. But at the end of the day, it's a give and take, and we're all in it together to reach lost people. When we do that together, we're just better off. Yes, that is so good. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, being at, here in, in Kentucky and being here. Um, and it would be it would be so good if and and it may be in your case it may have been but it'd been so good if if at, at one point you and the Lord came to agreement of like okay this is it this is time for us to leave and go someplace else but sometimes I don't believe that's the case and I know people are listening they tell me that my biggest um, my biggest age group is in college age what would you say to people in that age group who has, who is, um, change is coming really soon. What would you tell them that give them advice that you have learned over the years about change and growing into something new? Yeah. So the, the sooner you and I can accept the fact that change is always inevitable um, the better off we'll be. Now, the question is, what's changing? And for whoever's listening, man, that, that change could be, man, incredibly different. It could be changing a degree. You know, when I went into college, I um, first entered into psychology. And I had a psychology professor after my first semester sit me down and said, dude, are you good at anything else? Because you're terrible at this. And... Um, and I had to change my degree. My wife went um, to be a um, sports, like, um, you know, sports therapy, personal trainer, you know, that kind of track. And yeah. she, she made a switch. She made a change to uh, physical education. So she's an elementary PE teacher now. Um, over the years... I thought I grew up in Florida. I thought I'd live in Florida forever and change came and I moved to Kentucky. I thought I'd be a youth pastor forever. Change came and I found myself in Dayton, Ohio, uh, doing something different. So change is always coming. The, the question is, um, who is in your corner that you have that you can talk to about the change? And every major decision of my life, uh, I didn't rely on what I thought was right, but I surrounded myself with people who knew me, who knew the Lord, and who knew how to pray. And if you're able to seek those things, uh, uh, you know, questioning, man, what, what is it that God wants for me in this season? Um, what is it that other people see in me, right? And um, what is it that, man, I just think is the right move for me? Um, change is coming. So you got to have people in your corner that you can say, 
hey, you know, my grandpa was one of those guys. He would always have us make a pros and cons list and uh, write out the list and say, you know, what's the benefit of not changing? What's the risk to change this? And um, what happens if you go for it? The problem with change, though, bro, Cephas, is that we often think uh, in worst case scenarios, right? Like, yeah. We think we think in worst. What's the worst that could happen? And and if if we allow our mind to go there, dude, like like Zach, you're trying to raise your entire salary to um, be on, on in a mission field on your church uh, on your church, which is your college campus right now, right? I mean, that's the congregation God's called you to. Um, and so you could think like, man, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen is people say, man, I don't believe in you. I'm not sending you no money and you starve to death. <laughs> you know, that's fortunately on college campuses, though, there's enough free pizza around. I don't think that would happen. But you could say, like, what's the worst that could happen? You also could say, though, what's the best that could happen? Mm. What's the very best thing that could happen for me making this change? And the very best thing that could happen, I mean, you could go a long way. You could say. Man, the best thing that could happen is that God would provide for me and I would have all of my needs met and that I could I could help minister to kids, uh, college kids on this campus and people could come to know Christ. Man, and so too often in terms of change, we think what's the worst that could happen? And I think a shift in thinking to what's the very best that could happen is appropriate. So you got to seek others' opinions, right? Hey, what do you see? Here's the situation I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm struggling with. Every career change I've ever made, there's been four people that I've called and said, hey, uh, this church has called me and asked if I would consider, um, you know, candidating for this position. Should I do it? What do you think? Um, so I've had, I've, I put the right people in my corner. The second thing is, man, I, I've learned how to pray and rely on God and how to wait um and, and oftentimes um man god has answered my prayers not through some like voice in my head or feeling in my gut but lots of times through other people and um and so i, I pray i listen to other people and then i just ask what's the very best that could happen and sometimes we say too you know like what's the, the risk in changing? I, I often wonder what's the risk in staying the same? Like, what, what are you, what are you risking by not changing? I mean, I, I think sometimes we risk a lot by being comfortable and um, man, we're, we they miss out on the really good things that God has for us. I'm so glad I've, I've risked it time and time again. Um, we have some staff values at our church. And so one of the, one of the things that we say here is experiment often. And that value gives you freedom to fail. So it makes change and trying things really, really safe. And, you know, there's a limit to that, right? So we don't say experiment often, go spend 10 grand and just see if it works. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but experiment, try things, change, try things, um, Man, in college, you've got a beautiful gift called the summer where you can experiment things. That's why we have an intern program here at Salem um, where we hire summer interns where you can come and literally try it out. Do I want, I want to go into ministry? Do I want to go into student ministry? Well, spend the summer with us. Do I want to go into 
Um, kids spend the summer. Um, we have a year long program. So a lot of, a lot of students will come out of that gap year. They'll graduate and they'll go, man, I'm, I'm just, I have, don't have the experience. I'm not solidified in my calling. So spend it, spend that gap year with us, trying out different areas in ministry, getting a, getting a church experience. Um, and that's not just for the church world either. I mean, that's for pretty much any business opportunity, man, there's an internship available so you can try things out. Um, the last thing I'll say about change is we let our feelings dictate so much of who we are, right? If, if something feels uncomfortable, we're reluctant to do it. If something makes us feel afraid, we will struggle in that change. Um, and, and in those scenarios, we're letting fear be the driver. And what I've learned over the years is to put our emotions, put our feelings in the passenger seat, out of the driver's seat, buckle up, parent your feelings, and, and try to think through different lenses of just your emotional lenses, right? Try to consider all options, not just my emotions. Because emotions are fleeting, right? There have been times in my life where I feel like God has abandoned me. If you have ever read in the book of Psalms, you'll read David, arguably one of the greatest kings of, of uh, Scripture, uh, with the exception of Jesus. And, um, and he felt like God abandoned him all the time. Just about every prophet has felt like God has abandoned them. Just about every person in Scripture has felt like God's abandoned them. <clears throat> but we know that God doesn't, right? So... Your feelings aren't always the best driver or um, the best things to change. And that goes the other way too. Like sometimes your feelings will say, I got to get out of this place. I got to make a change. I think every teenager has said, no matter how big the city they live in, I hate where I live. There's nothing to do here. And I want to, I can't wait to leave. And their feelings are leading that. Um, the reality is usually everyone ends up moving right back to where they came from. And they can't wait to get home. Um, so change is coming, y'all. We got to be ready for it. We got to have people in our corner who know us, who know the Lord, and uh, who can help direct us to the right type of change. Oh, that's good, Bob. That's that's good. Um, man, love that. Um, I guess just to be a little bit... Uh, I guess to ask about like uh, discerning about leaving a church, you know, and in, in specific with that change, I guess as, as a pastor, and then I guess it could be as a congregation member, but I was wondering how hard would you say it, is it to discern when to leave like a, a job in a church or leave a church as an attendee uh, and then finding the right one? Um, is it a scary to do it as it seems? Because, with change, like as you were talking about, change is, is something that you have to do, but I guess also making the right decision on where to go next. Yeah, so um, let's let's think about through the lens of someone who's attending church right now. So um, I would say our our Western American church has done a great disservice to us in that we have created a culture of consumers where people attend a church 
And the filter that they use to find a church is, do I like the music? Do I like the preaching? Do I like what they offer my kids? Do I like what they offer my student, my teenager? Do I like the life small groups? And, and really, like, I think if Jesus were to come back today, he would look at the American church and he would say, like, man, did y'all not read? Did you guys not see what the thing that we started was not this? And we have done a terrible job, and um, we should collectively apologize because we have created so many consumers who use the church as more of a vending machine of religious goods and services and less as an opportunity to be the hope of the world because we are bringing Jesus to people who do not know Jesus. So when you're at a church, the things that you and I should be considering are, is, is this a place where I can contribute to the community and where I can really become the minister that God's called me to be? The, the, the idea that you should just attend a church and then the people on staff there get to do all the ministry and you're just a volunteer in it is ridiculous. In fact, for each and every person listening, God has had a dream about you since before you were born. And Ephesians tells us that there are good works that he created in advance for you to do. And that he's been dreaming this dream for your life. And what Jesus does when he dies on the cross isn't just forgive us of our sins, but he actually redeems the dream that God has for your life. And so you are a minister. Every person listening to this is a minister, and every minister has a ministry. So the question you should be asking in the church is, is this, is this organization, is this church going to be conducive to me doing ministry and ministering to the congregation that God's called me to? By the way, that congregation might be, if you're a parent listening, it might be the the bleachers where you're sitting watching your kids play that could be the people who god's called you to if you're a student listening maybe your team is the ones god's called you to if you live in a in a neighborhood maybe it's your neighbors that god's called you to think about the places where you live work and play who is it that god's called you to so if you're at a church and they're not giving you an opportunity to be the minister that god's called you to be then Find a new, find a new church, um, and that should be the filter that we look through. Is this a place where I can contribute, not just consume? Is this a place that values my faith and allows me to um, act, live this active faith, or is it not? Now, all the other questions are secondary. Um, the of course, you, you want to go somewhere where, where there's music that you like. I get that. More church fights have happened over music than anything in the world. Everyone's preference is going to be different. Um, but the other filter that I would use for a church is, and I would ask if you're, if you're you know, I, I'm, I lead our guest services team. So we have a feature on our website where you can plan your visit to come to Salem Church. And we meet you at the door and we help you find your find your way and get your kids checked in people tell me all the time we're church shopping 
so if you're church shopping, the first thing I would say is, man, tell me what your baptisms are like. Tell me how many people are, are getting baptized. Tell me, tell me how you're not just in this building, but you're in the community. You know, if your church would disappear today, would your community even know it? Would your city be, would your city be like aching to fill the holes that, that you're for the needs that your church is meeting? Um, if your church isn't doing that, they might be, it might be really great place for Christians to gather, to learn, to deepen in their faith. But guys, the church was never meant to be just that. The church was meant to find lost people. It wasn't just to make good people great. It was to make dead people live. And if, and if your church isn't doing that, whew, man, uh, I would use that C church word pretty carefully. Um, you might be like a really great Christian club. Um, we, we say all the time here that this isn't a cruise ship. It's a rescue boat. And all right, Bob. There oh. you go. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I like that a lot. No, you're, you're good. You're good, guys. So so, so the reasons, you don't don't leave a church because because of the answer that, I mean, you guys have heard before, I'm just not getting fed. Well, you know what? You can sit down at a restaurant and they'll put the food right in front of you. It's up to you to eat it, right? You're never going to leave a restaurant when they put the food at the table and you go, well, I'm just not being fed here. It's like, man, the food's right there. It's up to you to chew and swallow. Um, so that's, that, that's an immature reason to, to, to think about moving churches. Um, and, and, you know, I don't like the music. I don't like the lighting. I don't like, those are all very consumeristic things. And, and, and the reasons we should choose to worship at a place or choose not to should have nothing to do with your personal, should have less to do, I'll say, with your personal preference and more to do with, are, are we reaching the lost? Can I be a minister here? Or am I just a tool? You know, we, so we say at Salem all the time to anyone who volunteers, like we're committed to helping you find your sweet spot. So we want to know what are your passions, right? What are you passionate about? What keeps you up at night, gets you up in the morning? right? What's like the fire that burns in your belly? What's your passion? We want to know what's your gifting and what are you gifted in? What are the things that God is just naturally gifted in? Are you a natural teacher? Are you a natural shepherd? Are you an apostle? Are you a prophet? Are you an evangelist? We want to know those things. And then we say, what's your story? Um, few people are able to even know their story. They, they can't even articulate it. They can't share what God's done in their life. We want to know what's your story. And all those combined help us find your sweet spot where, where, you know, this is what I'm called to do. This is where I'm called to do it. And these are the people I'm called to reach. And then as a church, we want to remove barriers and mobilize you into those areas of service. Go be the minister God has called you to. We do all of that through this awesome program called Unique, um, where we help people uh, redeem the God dream in their life and send them out on mission. Our, our missions pastor at Salem isn't a missions pastor. She's not an outreach pastor. We call her the pastor of surrendered living because we want people to live a life totally surrendered to God. 
with their time, with their talent, and their treasure. So if you're considering moving from one church, going to another, those are the questions you should be asking. Can I be a minister in this church? Does the pastor see me as an equal? By the way, if you're a man or a woman, the pastor should see you as an equal, as a minister. Um, and are they removing barriers to allow me to do ministry where I live, work, and play? Um, are they reaching the lost? Are, are, are just good people, good Christians becoming better Christians, or are dead people coming to life? Those are the questions that we should ask when we're when we're thinking, is this a place we should stay or is this a place we could leave? Now, if if you're not ready for that and you're looking just to test out faith, if you're just exploring Christianity, if you're just wondering, is Jesus for you? Man, you're 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 in a beautiful spot as well. And there's room for you at the table. Um and some of us aren't ready to become the minister God has for us. Just know, if that's you listening, that God is patient, that God is kind, but he also has big dreams and hope for your future. And um, th there's a patient father who's sitting on the porch, looking down the dusty road. And the day you decide to come to him, he'll meet you more than halfway and then all the plans that we've just talked about, all those good things, those those ministry opportunities that God has for you, they'll come your way. In the meantime, if you're seeking and searching, find a church that's fun, who loves Jesus and is reaching lost people. That is so good. That is so good. Y you are deep. You know Jesus for real. I tell you <laughs> what. Um, and so I always ask this is a question that I, uh, that I usually ask people, even, even just in conversation, because I, I love it so much. How have you balanced in your life? How have you seen the balance in grace and truth in your own life? And then how have you been able to take that balance and apply it to other in, in your life and in your community? So I was a part of a cohort for a year called Gravity. Um, gravity leadership um, that year-long cohort um, changed a lot of my thinking on this and uh, a guy named Ben Hardman and Matt Tebby um, along with Kristen Dooley and a few others um, developed this curriculum that's a discipleship curriculum that you go through in a year-long cohort we talk a lot about grace and truth so grace and truth if you can imagine a tightrope it's this balancing act, right? You want to, you want to be full of grace. So, so, um, you know, we can, we want to love people as they are, who they are. In fact, um, that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do, right? To love people. Um, in fact, it never says to hate the sinner. Uh, Jesus was never mad at sinners, but he was mad at people who didn't think they were sinners. Um, and so we have to be people who are full of grace. At the same time, we need to be people who are full of truth, you know, as well. But let's think about it in this way. Now, this is more of a thing, so it's hard to explain on um, audio. But but just picture this: picture a, a, a picture of a cross. You know, so you you have you have a cross, and that gives us four quadrants, right? That's that's this grace and truth matrix. 
If we are really low grace and really low truth, well, then we can tend to just like check out, right? We'll just check out of people's lives. We become apathetic and say, it doesn't matter. It, it just, it doesn't matter if you're good. doesn't matter if you're bad. We have no grace, no truth, and we become people full of apathy. Uh, on the other side of that, if we're people who have uh, lots of truth but no grace, then we call people out. And, you know, Christians have become nationally recognized by people who are calling people out. These are idiots that stand with signs that say atrocious things that if Jesus came back today and saw those signs, um, man, I think he'd go right up to him and take him from him and slap him on the wrist. Um, but, but, you know, we, we can't be people who just call people out and um, have no relationship, no, um, no reason to be even in conversation with them. We just want to go protest. We want to hold signs. Or even, I, I used to have a volunteer who would call students out. If they didn't come to church, he would literally call them and give them a hard time for it. Every single prom or homecoming, he would be making some students cry because in, in his eyes, they weren't modest. And he was always calling people out. By the way, this drives people so far from Jesus and is so against the heart of Jesus, but it's how Christians are known um, as this judgmental people who just want to call you out. On the other side, we can be full of grace, but not have any truth. And this is where a lot of people uh, default as well, and they just hang out. So like as a student pastor, I know so many student pastors, myself included, who have defaulted to hang out where, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say any truth to this student or to this person. It might be hard, but I'll just hang out with them. And, and because of my life, because of the way I live, because of how they see me, they'll just get it. So I'll just, I'm not going to deliver any truth. I'm just going to all grace and I'm just going to hang out with them. Well, what actually happens is we become what's called an accidental diminisher. And we're diminishing people because they might be hanging out with us because they want some truth. And when we don't give it to them, sometimes we can give them permission to live in their sin or their brokenness when what Jesus wants to do is redeem it. Now, Jesus had this beautiful way of balancing grace and truth where he didn't check out of people's lives. He didn't call out people. He didn't hang out with people. But what Jesus did was he called people in. So on the t uh, in this quadrant, you know, you picture the top right, high grace, high truth, where we actually call people in to relationship with Jesus. And calling people in is really, really tough. But Jesus demonstrates this really great, the woman at the well. So if you remember this story, um, Jesus is leaving one place, going to another. He actually goes way out of the way to go through Samaria, where he meets a Samaritan woman who's midday at a well alone. Lots of uh, things we could talk about with just that sentence. But Jesus is there. He asks this woman for a drink, already taboo, because he's a man alone, because his disciples go into the town for food, um, which is important in a minute. And this woman is alone by herself at the well. So men and women don't mix in their culture. Jews and Samaritans don't mix in their culture. 
and um, Jesus asks her for a drink, um, reveals to her that he's the Messiah, begins to tell her all of her sin. Now, take a moment, because I've just been talking a lot, but consider you're meeting with Jesus alone, and Jesus starts naming all of the sin in your life. Like, for you and I, that might be a terrifying moment. But Jesus is able to do it in such a way that the woman actually feels loved. We know this because she goes into the town and she says to all of the townspeople, come meet a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? So somehow Jesus was able to deliver truth, but he also delivered her grace in such a beautiful way that she felt loved enough to go get the people who had cast her out of the town and bring them to Jesus. Now, this is the power of per of person who has newly experienced grace because the same disciples went into that town, but they were so concerned about their own needs, they were hungry, that they went into a town who was who was in all ways, shape, and form opposed to the Messiah, opposed to Jesus, and they come back with no one. The Samaritan woman, newly found grace, newly found truth, has just received salvation, goes into the town, and she comes back with everybody. And so balancing grace and truth, we have to learn and we have to take into account Jesus, who was able to call people in to relationship with them, be full of grace, full of truth. And I have not figured that out how to do it in my own life. <laughs> not well anyway. Um, this, is, this is something that takes practice. It's something that everyone listening needs someone in their life who understands this well and who can disciple you in it. So you can say, hey, I'm having this situation where I've got to deliver some truth but I don't know how to do it with grace. And you have to talk about that and figure that out. Um, but this is what Jesus was did. This is what Jesus did, man. This is why people who are outcasts in the community would spend their entire savings on oils and frankincense and um, spices, and they would anoint Jesus. This is why they would wash his feet with their tears and dry them with their hair. This is why in every town Jesus went, um, the ceiling had to be removed to lower paralyzed people down because, because they couldn't get in. Because when you're able to call people into relationship with Jesus and not check out, not hang out, or not call them out, but call them in, this is when people go, there's something different here, and I want to know what this is about. Unfortunately, guys, Christians have been known too far by a, a minority who yell loud and who paint everyone as those who just call people out. We got to call people in like Jesus. That's how I'm learning to balance grace and truth and loving people. Um, and, you know, that's how Jesus says we'll know we're Christians is by the way we love each other. So uh, it's always it's always a struggle, guys. If it's if we ever get it right, um, I'll be shocked. But I've got it right a time or two, and I'm gonna commit to practicing it for the rest of my life, balancing grace and truth.
That's so good. Um, I, I, we just, when we're recording this, we just came out of the Easter season. Uh, what is something fresh or new that you have learned um, in this coming out of this season that was Easter? Um, okay, so I'm a pastor. Easter is like our Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to take a second to speak to people who are volunteers in ministry, um, uh, in vocational ministry, or, uh, you know, you, you guys are, are working to make stuff happen in your churches. Um, there's, there's an invitation that we have from Jesus not to miss who God is in the doing. So you and I, we're created to be human beings, right? And being with God, being with Christ is incredibly important and it's often overlooked. So this Easter, we had a lot going on. We did, we dropped 4,000 balloons from the ceiling for all, all of our kids. We had almost 300 kids um, in our uh, worship service. We, we did a complete stage uh, uh, change. Um, we had a good Friday service. <clears throat> we had just a bunch of people, uh, in the room. Um, we saw almost 2000 folks. Um, there was just a lot happening. We mobilized all of our student ministry into areas of service and our kids ministry. It took a ton of work. It's so easy when you work for God to forget that he first wants you to be with him. And for me, fellas, you know, there's these things called life drifts we have where we all we all have like a shadow side of ourselves that isn't true. For me, it's uh, the lie that I believe is I am what I do. And so when I'm doing things, I feel value and I feel worth. I feel like uh, God loves me more when I'm doing more. And in fact, the total opposite is true. God doesn't love me any more or any less when I do perceived better or worse. That God's love for me is this covenant relationship where no wrong can spoil and no right can increase. And in the busyness of ministry, whether, like I said, you, you're, you're vocationally in it, you're volunteering in it, we can get so caught up in the doing that we miss what God has done. And what I learned this Easter was that there's always an invitation in the work to also, uh, um, to also rest and to be able to not just work for God, but experience God. Um, not just produce services, but to actually like be a part of the service. Um, not to work so hard for the ministry that we forget that we are God's ministry. Like he's ministering to us. He wants to, to be with us. So someone said once, like, um, don't work so hard, like, for God that you miss being with God. Mm. And that was, that was what I've, that was my uh, takeaway this year. Um, and what our executive pastor, Paul Strozier was just reminding all of us was 
um, don't miss God in your doing. You know, we have we we actually want to spend time with Him. So, um, as a pastor, that was probably my greatest learning. I also thought, you know, there's 51 other Sundays in the year. Um, and I understand why Easter is a big deal, why we celebrate it, uh, and the resurrection is certainly worth celebrating. But we have to remember, Jesus is alive all 52 Sundays of the year. Mm. And um, the question is, should, should we put as much effort into celebrating that each week as we do on Easter? Um, obviously, some of that's not sustainable. <laughs> because Easter wears out churches. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was that was my invitation. I love the story. There's two guys one time who sold themselves into slavery to go to a slave colony and, uh, and preach the gospel. The only way they could get to the slave colony was to preach the gospel. Um, and um, so they sell themselves into slavery and they're chained to each other on the, on the stern of a boat. As it pulls away from port, they raise their chained arms together and they say this phrase, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And uh, that that's like, that's what was driving me this Easter. Like the people... There's a greater ministry opportunity for people to come to church on Easter than maybe any other day of the year. And the hope that Jesus would receive the reward for his suffering, which is people coming to know him, turning their hearts and minds towards Christ, receiving salvation. Um, man, that was that that's just a beautiful picture that I hope happens all 52 weeks of the year. That's good. Uh, Bob, I wanted to ask a question about your current role at your church, yep. uh, just with, with families. Uh, and I would, so families are obviously all very different. And I would kind of, uh, not argue, but I guess I would say that they're kind of like a snowflake. Like some of them could be uh, replicated uh, in some ways, but each one is different. Uh, and it's one of those ministries that it's hard to, kind of under like it's it's hard to have a, a cookie cutter way to do it because everyone's so different yeah uh so i guess i was just wondering like how is leading a ministry in an area that is so i guess diverse and how each uh family looks yeah so uh a friend of mine mark shaner wrote an article recently on the national youth workers um organization where he said, you know, it's not enough anymore for youth pastors to be the sage on the stage. We have to actually guide by the side. And it's this idea that it's not enough just to know students' names anymore. Like it used to be like if a youth pastor knew every student's name, I mean, that was, a, that was something I tried to do so bad. In fact, like we print off labels, name tags, make students wear them because there's real power in knowing people's name um, and calling people by their name. But that's not enough because brokenness is everywhere and, and everyone is going through something. So, 
So we want to actually guide by their side. We want to know their pains, their struggles. We want to know that intimately. We want to, we want to come alongside families and um, help parents become the main discipler of their kids and students, um, partnering with the church and doing that, but not depending on the church for that. And so what happens is we, we need to raise up some families who are able to disciple other families in that. You know, guys, if, if, if you're looking to go into ministry, you, you need to, we need to change our perspective. Our job is not to actually do the ministry. Like, that's actually not the job of the pastor. The job of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the church. And so, and for good reason. If my church was waiting on me to do all the ministry, uh, one of two things would happen. One, I would do a really great job, but I would lose my family in the process. Mm -hmm. Or I'll do a terrible job because I'm also a husband and father first. And so, but if, if we can actually do some of the work and see every person as a minister with a ministry and equip them to do it, then we're being the church, right? And so we're trying to bring along families who can disciple other families and who can know, um, who, who can be that guide by the side, who can, who can, um, come alongside and in sorrow and enjoy um, who can help coach parents when um, the kids are struggling. We're really trying to do that with dads right now. We're trying to get dads, you know, a lot of dads are uh, only interested in things they should be passionate about and they're passionate about things they should only be interested in. I know dads who spend more time making sure there's no weeds in their yard than making sure that their kids are being discipled. Uh, I know dads who spend more time worrying about their golf game than they do about um, their, their kids' life with Christ. And so we got to flip the script and stop being only interested in our passions, but be, but passionate in our interests. Like, we have to become passionate about the right things. That takes discipleship. So raising up families who are able to walk alongside other families is so stinking important. We do that through life groups. We do that through men's ministries. We do that through opportunities to get parents together with kids. Um, and and actually, like, being able to demonstrate, we, we, we you know, try to show them what it's like to have a meal together. Sometimes we even provide questions uh, to talk at meals, put your phones away. Let's get engaged. So every family is so unique and different. And when you're a church who's committed to loving everyone, regardless of, of their, um, you know, their preferences or their, who they're married to or what gender the person they're married to is your family's, become wildly different. And, and, and I would say that, um, you know, the, these are the exact situations that we want to enter into. And we want to talk about how is it that you can minister to your family and how is it that you guys can become the main disciplers in your kids and students. Um, we found that so many parents just don't even have, have, they want the best for their kids. They want them to know God, but they have no way 
of knowing how that happens. And so we train them, we help teach them. We have opportunities all the time for parents to grow and learn how to, how to, you know, grow as a family closer to Christ. Uh, serving together is a huge opportunity. So our church does that often to get people to serve together. Um, and uh, yeah, it's all, it's all a challenge. It's way easier to have siloed ministries where kids do their own thing. Students do their own thing. Who knows what adults are doing? They're doing something. Uh, it's way more challenging when you try to um, get together and be in it all together. So there's a lot of other churches doing it way better than us. We're trying to learn from them and figure it out. Yes. that Oh, that is so good. Um, in wrapping up here, uh, what is some of the greatest advice that you have um, that you have gotten from a uh, from a uh, person? The single best piece of advice I've ever got. Well, I'll give you two of them. <clears throat> One is uh, from uh, Andy Stanley, uh, who said uh, he, he he wrote a book and he wanted to call it something, but his publishers wouldn't let him. He wanted to call it. Cheat the church. And uh, they wouldn't let him call it that. So it's called something else. Um, but he said, you know, you're going to, you're, you're going to, and this is coming from a pastor who's a husband and a father. Okay. So um, know that about me. Um, he said, it, it, you're, you're going to cheat one uh, it, the the book was called now choosing to cheat who wins when family and work collide and um, those two things are, are going to collide all of the time and you have to choose who wins and he said cheat the church Andy Stanley has a, a, a pretty large church in Georgia and um, but he committed to his family to be home by four o'clock and he said you know what God, whatever you can do with my 40 to 50 hours a week is good enough. And, um, and so he, he, he was home. He, he's a dad. He's got lots of kids and he's home. Um, and the second piece of advice I got was from a guy named Bob Goff. Bob Goff is uh, a, an awesome person to look up to. I have his phone number. You can have it too. It's in the back of his book. Um, you could call him. Sometimes he answers. Um, a great book called Love Does um, that kind of put him on the map, so to speak. But um, this is this is surrounding family as well. Bob Goff said at the end of the day. Well, let me let me back up and say I I I, I haven't always got this right. So the reason why this is really important to me now and why it's the best advice anyone's ever given me is because I've got it wrong and I know what that road looks like and I'm committed never to going back to that. Bob Goff said at the end of the day, if you lose your family, you lose. doesn't matter how big your church is, how big your ministry is, how many people know Jesus at the end of the day, if you lose your family, you lose. So if you're going to cheat anyone, don't make it your family. Don't lose your family in the process of trying to win the world. Um, I have an eight-year-old little girl. 
a four-year-old little girl and a beautiful wife that I won't say her age on here because I'll get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> and that's my that's my ministry. Uh, that's 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 all I hope for. That's all of my aspirational goals in my life are found in those three humans that God has asked me to love and to lead. And at the end of the day, if I lose them, boys, I lose. And uh, nothing else matters. So uh, we all, you know, pastors, we get to do this. This is a this is a fun thing we get to do. We're invited to find where God's at work and join him in that good work. We get to do that. We but we have to, to love our family and it's not an option. And, um, it's also a privilege. We get to do that as well, but the stakes are so high guys. If we lose our family, we lose. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you so much for uh, taking your time out and doing this today. God bless you. And, uh, and God bless your tender, both at Ashland church and both here. You, I tell you, you know, Jesus, and thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, guys, thanks for the invite. Happy to do it. Um, look forward to maybe seeing you guys around next time I'm there in the bluegrass. C-A-T-S, cats, cats, cats. Yes, Jesus. Yes. Good to talk to you again, Bob. Yeah. All right. Hey, blessings on both of you, and uh, keep doing what you guys are doing. Keep loving the Lord, serving people, and uh, let's go win the world for Jesus. Yes, Jesus. All right. You be blessed. All right. Have a good one. Okay.